course, we heard from third and fourth graders the stories about the day she had plugged it in. He had heard about the lake since he was a child. It was the place that only the animals could see, where they would go if they were hurt or wounded. We love stories! It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of teller stories to lift the spirit and warm the heart and give flight to your imagination. And we're going to do a little of all of those things today. I'm Sam Payne, your host. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you. And we've got a great hour coming up. We're going to bring to you a story from the wonderful storyteller and mime, Motoko, a story called Kang Ding Love Story. And you're going to hear from Joseph Bruchak with a story called Aman Kamek from a collection of stories called When the Chenu Howls. And you'll hear from the great music musician and storyteller David Holt with a story called The Magic Lake. That's from a collection of tales called Mostly Ghostly Stories. Now, uh, at my house, I don't know how it is at your house, but at my house, we're always looking stuff up. It seems like every few minutes, somebody comes up with something in conversation that we'd like to know more about. And so, well, we all take out our phones and we do a little research together there around the kitchen table or in the living room. Looking stuff up to learn more about things that you don't know has never been easier, has it? But it doesn't always go perfectly smoothly, as you'll learn in a story told for us today by the great North Carolina storyteller Donald Davis. And to introduce us a little bit to that story, we're pleased to be joined in the studio by Trent Horton, one of our assistant producers. Trent, it's great to have you with me. Hey, Sam. It's great to be here with you. We're going to hear a story from, they call him the Dean of Storytelling. Donald Davis has been telling stories on stage and on recordings for decades and decades and decades. Tell us about the story we're going to hear today. Yeah, so this is, uh, it's titled Look It Up. Um, and from what I understand, it's a story from from Donald Davis's childhood. <laughs> um, he tells a lot of those, and I yeah. like all of them, And some honest. of them are stretched a little bit. But yeah, but it's <laughs> yeah. all right. It's right. Ma- it makes it fun. Right. Um, but back with the during the time that this story happened, uh School punishment was a little different than it, we, yeah, it is now. Yeah, you get a glimpse at another era for sure, yes. right? Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, you think of uh, now det- detention or being suspended or something, um, eh, but not back then. It was you, you misbehaved and you got smacked by a paddle or right. <laughs> something like that, a little different. We're glad we've evolved. Yeah, right? yeah, definitely. I'm Cer- glad. Certainly, I was going to say, <laughs> certainly those of us who might have been inclined to get in trouble in school might be glad we've evolved. I certainly am glad. Yeah. Um, but uh, during during his second grade year, um, they actually decided to change the rules his school did and not allow teachers to uh, enact such punishment as that. And uh, they, and you might think that's like where the story ends, right? A happy ending for the yes, but you that's might. really where the story just begins. Yeah, isn't it? exactly because yeah. they they institute something called suspension, and uh, the second grade class doesn't quite know what that meant. <laughs> and uh, instead of giving them comfort, I think it instilled a little bit more fear. That's right. Than, uh, the paddle ever had. This is a live recording from a concert that Donald Davis has done most years in secession for a long time. 
in Fearington Village. And uh, in fact, the collection is called Live from Fearington Village. The story is called Look It Up. This is the story that introduces a lot of people to Donald Davis's storytelling. It did me. And uh, if you're not familiar with Donald Davis, you're going to love this tale. Of course, if you are familiar with Donald Davis, you're going to love it as well. Look it up here on The Appleseed. When I was a little kid, there were a lot of things that had not yet been invented. One of those things was called (laughs) self-esteem. And you see, since self-esteem had not been invented, it didn't need to be taken care of. So when I was little and we got in trouble, do you think we got put in time out? Uh-uh. Time out would have just been a private retreat where you could think up more ways to get in trouble. Yeah. When we got in trouble, do you think you got grounded? Uh-uh. When I was little and we got in trouble, well, at home... You got what might be called a free-range whooping. (laughs) But at school, and here is a technical difference. At school, you got a paddling. Now, here's the legal difference. If you get punished with a paddle then the teacher can technically and legally say, I did not lay a finger on him. (laughs) But every teacher I ever had taught in reach of a paddle. In the first grade, I was in Miss Annie Ledbetter's room. Miss Annie Ledbetter had a red flyback paddle, you know, made by the Flyback Toy Company in High Point, North Carolina. It had been born with a little rubber band on it and a ball on the end where you go walkity, 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 walkity if you hit it about one time out of a hundred while it was flying back and forth. (laughs) Some little kid had actually thought he could bring it to school and get away with it. He went whackety-whack about two times. She grabbed that paddle, yanked the rubber band off of it, and recycled it on the spot. (laughs) Now, I learned early on in the first grade that in spite of paddling, most kids didn't need to worry about it. Because, you see, every class had about three designated Paddleese, <laughs> whose job in life was to get paddled for the whole class. Yeah. That's why they had been placed on the earth. Yeah, 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 yeah. And in our class, the A's through the GRs, the designated paddleese were Tommy Connard, his cousin Aldine. They were already genetically connected, you see. And this boy named Lynn Fowler, there were six older brothers. Lynn was the seventh brother in that family. And every year, they would all start the year at Hazelwood School. But gradually through the year, one at a time, they would disappear. (laughs) Disappear. And we would hear whispered underground, they had been sent away. 
to this mysterious place called the Jackson Training School. <laughs> where they'd be dumped in a big pot with other evil boys so they could exchange evil information for the rest of the whole year and learn a whole lot more bad stuff from each other so when they went back home the next year, they'd get in trouble even faster. You know. <laughs> About every couple of days, one of those boys got a paddling. Second grade, same group of kids. We were in old, that was her first name, old <laughs> Miss Lois Harrell's room. <laughs> she told us she'd been teaching second grade 185 years. <laughs> and that she had taught other grades before that. I mean, she was ancient. She was, she was on the verge of simply drying up and blowing away. And the only way she stayed on earth was that she had a great big jug of Jergens lotion. She kept rubbing lotion into her, <laughs> rubbing lotion into her all the time to kind of weight her down, you know, and keep her, keep her kind of <clears throat> hydrated enough so the wind didn't carry her off. <laughs> now, Miss Lewis Harrell had an electric paddle. It had been invented by her boyfriend, Harry. <laughs> now, now, in some previous era, she and Harry had been on the verge of getting married. But before that happened, the First World War came along, <laughs> and Harry went off to fight the Germans. And he discovered in no time the fighting Germans was a lot more fun than marrying Miss Lois Harrell. <laughs> and so he just stayed in the army, and he stayed in the army. He stayed, he stayed through two and a half wars as long as they'd keep him. And about 50 years later, he came back home, but then she had given up. But they were constant companions at a safe distance for the rest of their lives. I finally figured out that what Harry had done is he had taken a flat board, had sawed out the shape of a paddle, painted it red. But on one side, there was sort of this explosion logo like used to pop up on television when you were watching Batman. <laughs> and then he had just drilled a hole in the handle, glued an electric cord up in there, and put a big plug on the other end of the cord. And it would lay there on top of the desk, just curled up like it was getting ready to strike. <laughs> and she would pick it up and she would say, now, you boys and girls better not make me plug this thing in. I'm going to just use it manually today. But if you do anything like that again, I'm going to be forced to plug it in. And I cannot even tell you what will happen if I plug it in. And, of course, we heard from third and fourth graders the stories about the day she had plugged it in and how some little child had simply melted so totally off the face of the earth that that child's parents did not even remember he had ever been born to start with. <laughs> oh, it was scary. Well, Lynn and Aldine and... Tommy were still the designated paddlees. And she paddled one of them every day. 
and all three on Friday because she's going to have to miss two days and she knew they were going to do something <laughs> on the weekend they need to get paddled for anyway. <laughs> well, one Friday, she is paddling all day. Oh, man. And she had just finished putting a whole bunch of lotion on her hands to keep her from drying up. And when she got hold of that paddle, she still had a big glob of lotion on her hands, and, and she warmed up to about 78 RPM, and all of a sudden, the paddle squirted out of her hand. And it hit the high pane of the double-pane window, broke the window, and landed outside on the sidewalk. Just as Mr. Bowles, the superintendent, was coming to see Mr. Leatherwood, our principal. We didn't know anything about that. All we knew was we didn't have to do anything the rest of the day. Well, the next morning we got to school and there was an unannounced called assembly program. We marched into the auditorium, second graders, first graders, all the way through the sixth grade. And up on the stage was both Mr. Bowles and Mr. Weatherby. So we knew it was going to be a long assembly program. <laughs> you see, Mr. Bowles was from off. And he didn't talk right. He was from Indiana or somewhere. <laughs> and whenever he was there, he would say stuff, and we couldn't understand what he was saying, so Mr. Leatherwood would have to repeat it. It was a double-length symbol program every time that happened. Yeah. <laughs> this was going to be long. Well, they got up and began to explain something. First of all, it was boys and girls. Yesterday afternoon after school, we had a special workshop on discipline. There will be no more paddling in school. <laughs> they said, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. We didn't say no punishment. There's still going to be punishment, but it's not going to be paddling. There's this new thing that's been invented, and they're doing it at schools all over the country, and we're going to do it here too. It's called getting suspended. He read a little misdemeanor list. Didn't amount to a whole lot. He said, now, if you do these kinds of things, you're going to get what's called suspended in school. Where you'll be put in a room with all the other kids who are being suspended in school, and you'll be suspended in there together with a teacher watching you. <laughs> then he got to the felony list. It was things like fighting on the school bus, stealing lunch money, changing grades on your report card in ink, <laughs> and calling a teacher the same thing you'd heard your parents call them. <laughs> oh, man, if you did any of those things, you were going to get flat out suspended out of school on your own, out of school. Well, they talked that to death for a little while, and then we went back to our classes. We got back in the second grade, and Miss Lois Harrell said, Now, boys and girls, did you understand all of that? We said, Oh, yes, we understand that. No more paddling. 
She said, but do you understand what's going to happen? Do you have any questions about what was said at the assembly program? Well, one little boy raised his hand, Harris. He said, what does suspended mean? <laughs> They'd worn the word out, had never told us what they were talking about. <laughs> well, being a good second grade teacher, Miss Lois Harold did not answer the question. No, you know what she said now, don't you? Go look it up. Didn't you hate that? Go look it up. If you didn't know how to spell a word, how are you going to go look it up? I remember spending the whole day between C and K trying to find ketchup in the dictionary. Never did find it by the end of the day. Go look it up. Well, he went over there, started digging in the dictionary, digging in the dictionary, digging. All of a sudden, the pages stopped, and he hollered, No! She said, what's the matter? He said, it means to hang. <laughs> if you're just a little bit bad, they're going to put you in a room with all the other children. They're just a little bit bad, and they're going to hang everybody in there together with the teacher watching. And if you're real bad, they're going to drag you out of school and hang you all by yourself outside. No, no, no. Two days later, the Waynesville Mountaineer, Tuesday and Friday newspaper, had this headline on the bottom half of the front page. 28 second graders petition school board to reestablish paddling <laughs> as their preferred form of punishment. <laughs> Look it up was the name of that story told for you by Donald Davis. That recording made live at Fearington Village, a beautiful little village nestled in the Piedmont of North Carolina and a place where Donald Davis has performed again and again and again and again. And what a delight to hear that story. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah, dictionaries can almost, the, the dictionaries are almost always a clarifying device, right? Yes, but not almost always. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What are the, some of the things that you love about this story, Trent? I don't know. It just brings me back to certain times. I mean, first of all, it made me laugh, yeah, which I really loved. Yeah. Um, but it brings me back to times when I didn't quite understand something. And like, for example, you know, I was afraid to step on a sidewalk crack for years in well, elementary sure, school. Yeah. You know, if I was going to break my you, mama's back. You, and I, you know the saying, right? Yeah. And uh, it just brings me back to kind of some of those moments. And it really makes me laugh because of that. <laughs> it's also a story about the foibles of kids using the best direction they've been given to try to solve a problem themselves, right? Mm -hmm. They know that going to the dictionary will help, and of course they yeah. get into trouble at that moment. It's such a great story. Donald Davis, of course, the storyteller. Pleasure to hear that story here on The Appleseed. Trent, thanks so much for being with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. There's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. 
It's such a pleasure for me to be with you today on The Appleseed. A moment ago, you heard a favorite Donald Davis story, a story called Look It Up, about trying to learn new things by taking the initiative and looking things up in the dictionary with hilarious, if not disastrous, results. Such a pleasure to hear from Donald Davis, the dean of storytelling, they call him, and of course, an ambassador for storytelling for decades and decades from headquarters for Donald Davis on Ocracoke Island in North Carolina. He brings all kinds of storytelling joy uh, wherever he goes, reminding people of memories and thoughts that they can share as stories with the people that they love. And of course, you know, we love that here on The Appleseed as well. There's a lot coming up here on The Appleseed. You're going to hear a story from the great storyteller and mime, Motoko, a story called Kangding Love Story that you're going to love. And of course, you're going to hear from Joseph Bruchak, the prolific author and storyteller, who today will tell you a story called Amankamek, a story from a collection of stories called When the Shenu Howls. That is all coming up on the Appleseed. But first, how about a conversation with a friend? Great stories come into our lives in so many ways, through the books that we read, through the films that we love, through the songs that we remember, and through food memories, too, and talking about some of those ways in which great stories come into our lives with friends is something that we love to do here on the show, and I'm pleased to be joined in the studio by our producer, Jeff Simpson. Jeff, it's great to have you with me. I am so happy to be here. I'm here to talk about something that uh, if you weren't a believer before, you will be a believer soon. <laughs> I can hardly wait. That's that's tantalizing. <laughs> you know me. I mean, you know I'm always talking about either movies or food. Right. And when the two are married together, that's like a match made in heaven. Wait a minute. Movies? Food? Yes. This can only be one thing. Popcorn. We're going to be talking about popcorn. Popcorn. (laughs) So I personally love movie theater popcorn. The more butter you can put on there, the better. Uh, I even love seeing the little previews before the movie where they show the the popcorn popping and you hear that delightful little noise and you see the the soda being poured with the ice cubes and everything. We went to the movies recently and my four year old was laughing hysterically at the ice cubes. He's like, the ice is funny. <laughs> anyway, you're uh, talking about the 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 image of the ice yes, fall on the big screen, yes, right, falling yes. into the glass as an advertisement for the concession stand. Right? But my kids actually prefer the popcorn that I make at home which doesn't bother me because it's cheaper and it really does taste good. But I can't take all the credit. There is this device that I use that really makes it a magical experience, and it is called Stir Crazy. And I'm not talking about the Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor movie. I'm talking about the Stir Crazy, which is this gigantic dome. Right. Yeah, yeah. And at the top of this dome, there are these little holes poked through this hard plastic upside down bowl. And uh, I bet you're wondering, what are those for? Uh, you know what? Some people may be wondering, but I know this. <laughs> you're no crazy. stranger. I, that's, right? I'm no stranger. Yeah. So once you put the popcorn in this stir crazy device, you put the dome on top of it. You throw some oil in there and there's this little metal arm inside the stir crazy that starts to go to work. (laughs) 
and it spins around. And if it happens to get stuck on the popcorn kernels one way, it'll correct itself and go back the other way. (laughs) And at some point in the process, you've got to time it just right. But you put soft butter on top of the dome. And as the heat starts to accumulate and as the popcorn starts to pop, that butter will start melting down through the holes so that what you end up with is this evenly coated batch of freshly made popcorn. (laughs) And then after it's all popped, you've unplugged it, you put a lid on top of the holes, you flip the dome upside down, and voila, you've got and yourself that's a giant your bowl. bowl. <laughs> yes. I got to tell you, Jeff, the stir-crazy popcorn popper was like the most technologically advanced thing in my <laughs> life. I think when, when, it, when, when we first got one, the idea that there would be a little metal arm keeping the popcorn from burning on the bottom of the popper, and then at the end, as you say, that you could flip the whole thing over, and it's already in the bowl. I mean, we just, that blew our mind. This is one of the several things that my wife introduced me to. I remember just growing up throwing some popcorn kernels in a brown paper lunch bag. Sure. You know, maybe even stapling the top and then maybe not because that might be dangerous. And then throwing (laughs) it in the microwave and just it was kind of a guessing game as to what you'd get. Right. Yeah. My wife introduced me to it. I was sold on it immediately. And I remember I was working at the time in the elections office in Seattle. <laughs> and I had these coworkers that had never heard of the stir crazy. Yeah. I described that same experience to them. And two of those coworkers came back and told me I went out and I bought the stir crazy and it's great. <laughs> so stir crazy, if you're listening, whatever company manufactures you, uh, I would love residuals, but um, I, I'm happy to just tell people and sing the praises of stir crazy. Oh yeah. We would, as kids, we would sit and watch it, you know, we would watch it. We, we, you know, uh, under normal circumstances, making popcorn, however we did it, right in a in a in a saucepan or whatever whatever we did before, right? When we got the stir crazy, we we would we would rather watch the stir crazy than start the movie and wait for the popcorn, right? We'd, we'd come in and we'd watch the stir crazy at work. That is exactly what is happening with my kids right now. They want to be a part of it. They'll gladly take part in any part of the process, whether it's pouring the oil or putting the butter on top. Or just, as you said, simply watching it. They're transfixed. <laughs> and if they pay more attention to the, the popcorn popper than they do the movie, yeah. right? My four-year-old, doesn't. he doesn't love movies. He'll watch for a few minutes, and then he goes off and does a computer game. But they'll gladly watch that popcorn popper. Talking about that device, right, it's always amazing to me. When you see... On television or in a catalog or in a pawn shop or something like that, a a, a device that you had when you were a kid. In this oh, case, yeah. a popcorn popper. Yeah. The memories that it brings up. I mean, suddenly, as you talk about the the stir crazy popcorn popper, suddenly I I I am filled with movie memories. Sitting with my family. Sometimes it was popcorn. Sometimes it was ice cream. And there were you know just there there were exactly enough of us in the family that my mom would buy a you know a, a square a, a rectangle carton of ice cream and open it all up and then cut it with a knife. Right. She, yeah. She, she'd cut it into exactly as many ice cream cubes as there were members of the family and bring it in. Suddenly I'm remembering that. I haven't thought of that in years. You know? Yeah. But yeah, the, the memory of a beloved old device that your family would gather around, whatever it is, it, it, it brings back a lot of memories. 
Sam, trying to watch a movie without having popcorn there in your lap is like trying to watch a movie without the screen. I'm not kidding. I it's it's an alien experience when there's no popcorn in front of me, especially at the movie theaters, but I'm so glad that uh, the memories that were shared with me and my dad, I get to pass on to my own kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the stir crazy popcorn, I, I I'll tell you, I'm going to go home and make some that's that's an invitation. That's what that is right there. <laughs> I don't know what movie I'm going to watch, but I know how I'm going to have my popcorn. It's a pleasure to have you with me, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways. Such a pleasure to chat with Jeff Simpson, our producer. We're sure to have him back. There's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. In a moment, you're going to hear a story from Motoko, the wonderful storyteller, and mime. You'll hear a folk tale about love and tragedy and some sweet surprises as well. It's up next on The Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to have you with us on this hour of The Appleseed. A moment ago, a conversation about the stir-crazy popcorn popper from uh, Jeff Simpson, our producer. And uh, at the top of the hour, of course, you heard a story called Look It Up, a favorite story from the great storyteller Donald Davis. A pleasure to bring you that tale. Now, up next, we've got a story from the great storyteller and mime Motoko. She's been performing for all sorts of audiences for decades. She's won awards and even appeared on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood years ago. She trained with the famous mime Tony Montanaro, and her repertoire includes Asian folk tales and personal tales and ghost stories and more. And this is a folk tale about love. The couple in this story has been courting for years and planning for marriage, but their marriage is denied as the young lady, against her will, is betrothed to her landlord's son. Well, heartbroken, her lover leaves the city behind, bent on creating a new life for himself. Things don't turn out quite the way he expects, though. There are some twists in this story that you're going to enjoy. Here's Mochiko with Kangding Love Story, right here on The Appleseed. That was the song that a certain boy and a girl used to sing together whenever they got to spend time with each other. The boy and the girl lived in the same village away up in the hills in old China. And they basically grew up together and they always liked each other. So when they became the age for marriage, of course they wanted to marry each other. So the young woman went to her father to ask for permission. She said, Daddy, I think I'm ready to get married, and I want to marry my sweetheart, 
You know who he is. Is that all right with you? But then the father looked at her with sad eyes and said, No, my dear daughter, you cannot. But why not, father? Because our landlord wants you to be the bride for his son. He owns all our land. We had to say yes. So now you must marry the landlord's son. When the young woman heard this, she was heartbroken. She went straight to the young man she loved and told him the story. And the young man felt so dejected and so bitter that he decided to leave the village altogether. He would travel down the river toward the big city where no one knew him and start a new life all by himself. So he left the next morning without even saying goodbye to the young woman. He got in the boat and he rowed and rowed without resting or stopping for three days and three nights. At the end of the third night, he was exhausted. So he put down the oar and tied the boat to a tree on the shore. He lay down at the bottom of the boat and he was looking up at the starry sky, thinking about the woman he loved. When he could not bear the loneliness any longer, he started to sing. Then he thought he heard a faint voice singing the song with him. He got up and looked toward the shore, but all he saw was dark bushes. He said to himself, My ears are playing tricks on me. There is no one around here. He kept on singing. Duan duan liu liu di chao tsai Gan din liu liu di chen yo But there was no mistake. Somebody was singing with him. Am I hearing a ghost? Wait, this beautiful and familiar voice. Yue liang wang wang Gan din liu liu di chen yo Suddenly, the dark bushes on the shore parted, and the young woman he loved stepped out. Her clothes were all ragged, and her feet were bleeding from running through the forest. Sweetheart, what, what are you doing here? Well, you are the one who I love. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Please take me with you to the big city. The young man's heart leapt for joy. He took her hand and helped her into the boat, and together they rolled down the river to the big city. Once they arrived, they settled down, and they worked hard, and in five years, they had two children. They were raising a family. But during those five years, the young woman never wrote to her parents or corresponded with them in any way. One day, their children came home from playing outside and said, Mommy, how come all the other children have grandpas and grandmas, but we don't have one? When she heard the question, she started to cry. So the children went ahead and asked their father, and the father did not know what to say. 
the young mother said. I have been completely away from my parents' love and kindness for five years. It makes me feel so sad and ashamed. I understand, sweetheart, the husband said. Why don't we just all go back together and ask for your parents' forgiveness? There is no point in suffering like this. So this time, the whole family traveled up the mountain toward their home village. Their hearts were heavy because they did not know what to expect. So just to keep their courage up, they sang the song. Pao ma liu liu de shan shan, kan din liu liu di chen yo. Duan duan liu liu di chao sai, kan din liu liu di chen yo. Yue liang wang wang, kan din liu liu di chen yo. When they arrived at the village, they went straight to the young woman's house. In front of the gate, the husband said, Why don't you all wait here for me? I'm going to go inside all by myself and ask for your father's forgiveness. The young man went inside the house, and there he found the old parents of the young woman sitting in the living room. He was struck by how much older they looked than before. Then he realized that they had been crying. The young man knelt down in front of them and said, Please, father and mother, forgive me. I ran away with your daughter five years ago. But now we are all back here to beg for your forgiveness and introduce you to your grandchildren. Then the old father looked at him in the most peculiar way and said, What kind of crazy talk is this? My daughter is with us right in this house, but she has been sick. She has been gravely ill for five years. She could not marry the landlord's son. She could not marry anybody. And now her life is about to end. The young man said, What are you talking about? Your daughter is right outside the gate waiting for you with your grandchildren. So the old father rushed outside the gate to see if his daughter was really there. And there she was. Meanwhile, the old mother rushed into the back room to see if her daughter was sick in bed. And there she was. But when the woman in bed heard the story, she rose and stood up. And she dressed herself in her finest clothes. And she put some makeup on. She looked really pretty. And she walked outside the house. There the two women met. And smiling, but without speaking, they stepped right into each other's body and became one woman. When the two women became one, the family became one. The young couple decided to stay in the village, and they all lived happily ever after. A story called Kangding Love Story 
from Motoko. That's from a collection called The Promise of Chrysanthemums. And coming up, a story from Joseph Bruchak, the prolific author and storyteller. This is a story about an ancient monster, a massive snake named Amankamek. And you'll meet the Thunder Brothers who ride on clouds and have spears of lightning. And you'll meet a woman named Red Flower who gains the favor of Amankamek's grandmother who helped her escape while the Thunder Brothers begin their hunt. This is from a collection called When the Shenu Howls, Amankamek by Joseph Bruchak here on The Appleseed. A young woman was walking through the woods. She was on her way back to her village. Come here, a voice said from close behind her. That voice frightened her. Perhaps it was the voice of Mamouli, the eater, the one who hunts for human beings. She was about to run when she heard that voice again. I will not hurt you. Listen. Then she heard the sound of a flute. She turned around to look. A young man she had never seen before sat on a fallen birch tree. He was dressed in new buckskin clothing, and that clothing was all decorated with so much quill work that it glittered in the light. The song he was playing on his flute was pleasing to her ears. He was a fine-looking young man who was pleasing to her eyes. When he finished his song, he looked right at her and asked, Where are you going? I have just spent some time in the forest. I am going back to my village now, she answered. Would you like to come with me? he said, holding out his hand. Yes, she said. She forgot that she was on her way home. It seemed as if he was the only thing that she could see and that his voice was the only thing she could hear. I will come with you. That is good. I want you to meet my grandmother. He took her hand, and they walked toward the river. But as they walked, the young woman noticed that things looked different. They were going down a steep hill that she had never seen before, and there was mist all around them. There were no trees, and the earth under their feet was all sand. At last they came to a cave where an old woman sat. Granddaughter, the old woman said, come and sit here beside me. Are you hungry? said the young man. I will hunt for food. What kind of meat do you like? I like deer meat, said the young woman. Then I will bring you some. The young man picked up a spear and walked off until he disappeared in the mist. Soon he came back, carrying a deer over his shoulders. The young woman was pleased. Not only was this young man handsome, he was also a good hunter. I am Red Flower. What is your name? she asked. I am Amankamek, he said. Red Flower thought that the name sounded familiar, but she could not remember why. There were many things she could not remember. She could not remember where she had been going when she met Amankamek. She could not remember her own village. Each day Amankamek asked her what she wanted to eat. Each day he brought back whatever she asked him to hunt. When I am gone, he told Red Flower, you may walk around, but do not go too far. And if you see even a small cloud in the sky, come back here quickly and hide in the cave. Red Flower did as she was told. She remained in the cave with Amankamek's grandmother. She was respectful to the old woman and helped her in any way that she could. But even though the old woman was kind to her in return, Red Flower was not completely happy. 
Amankamek provided her with plenty to eat, but it was cold inside the cave, and it seemed as if she could always hear strange voices at night whispering all around her in the darkness. Red Flower began to remember her family, and she grew sad. The old woman saw this. Granddaughter, said the old woman one day when Amankamek was out hunting, are you not feeling well? Grandmother, Red Flower said, I am feeling lonesome. I miss my mother. The old woman looked at her for a long time. Granddaughter, she said at last, it is not right that Amankamek keeps you here. He is my grandson, but still I will help you. Tomorrow, when he asks you what you want to eat, name an animal that will be difficult for him to find. The next morning, as always, Amankamek asked Red Flower, What would you like to eat? I would like to eat the meat of a black elk that has one horn and a white spot on its shoulder. Ah, Amankamek said, it will not be easy, but I will bring you what you want. Then, as always, he walked off and disappeared into the mist. Look at me, granddaughter, the old woman said. Her voice sounded strange. Red Flower turned to look. The old woman's face was growing smooth and round, and her arms and legs were shrinking as her body grew longer. When it was done, she had turned into a great horned snake. This is how we truly are, the old woman snake said. Now I will help you escape from Angmonkamek. Climb onto my back. Red Flower climbed onto the back of the old woman snake. It began to carry her up until they reached the surface of the river. Red Flower realized then where they had been. The cave was on the bottom of the river. The old woman snake began to swim for the shore, which was very far away. Granddaughter, do you see any clouds in the sky? said the old woman snake. I see one small cloud far behind us, said Red Flower. Then I must swim faster, said the old woman snake. Now I see more clouds, and they are getting larger. I must swim very fast now, the old woman snake said. Red Flower looked back. There were twelve clouds in the sky, and they were coming swiftly toward them. Suddenly something lifted up from the waves close behind them. It was the head of another horned snake, even larger than the old woman snake. It held in its jaws a black elk with one horn and a spot on its shoulder. Amankamek is close behind us, Red Flower said. Swim faster. Granddaughter, where are the clouds now? said the old woman snake. They are right overhead, said Red Flower. Then I must dive under water, said the old woman snake. She dove out from under Red Flower just as lightning began to strike the water all around them. Red Flower found herself under water. She could see the old woman snake swimming away deeper and deeper, safe from the lightning. Red Flower thought she would drown when a strong hand grabbed her wrist and pulled her up onto the bank of the river. A tall man dressed in red buckskin stood there. Eleven other men who looked just like him stood close behind him. Little one, the tall man said in a booming voice, you have helped us. You brought the monster up so we could strike it with our spears, you see? He said, pointing with his lips toward the body of the great horned snake that they had pulled up out of the water. It was a Moncomec. Red Flower knew who the twelve men were. They were the Thunder Brothers, the ones who fly on the clouds, seeking out the monsters that bother the people and striking them with their spears of lightning. Of all beings, they are the only ones who hunt for the great horned snakes. Grandfathers, she said, I thank you. So it was. 
that Red Flower was saved from Mamankomek, the giant horned snake, and returned to her own people. From that day on, she was always a friend of Thunder. Aman Kamek, a story told for you by Joseph Bruchak. Let's wrap up today, shall we, with a David Holt story. This story is about a magic lake where animals go to heal their wounds. It's deep in the woods, and no person is allowed there. What happens when someone does stumble upon that magic lake? We're going to find out. Here's David Holt with The Magic Lake on the Appleseed. Once a long time ago, there was a Cherokee hunter deep in the Blue Ridge Mountains stalking a large deer. He moved in, put an arrow in his bow and shot. It hit the deer right in the side, but the animal didn't fall. It turned and ran. The hunter started following him, knowing that soon the deer would become exhausted, but it didn't fall. The deer just kept running until the hunter realized that he was further back in the Blue Ridge than he'd ever been before and he didn't quite know where he was. Further and further he followed the deer until finally, late in the afternoon, the animal stopped on the edge of a huge meadow. The hunter knew this was his chance. He took out an arrow, put it in his bow, and shot just as the deer started to cross the meadow. But the deer just disappeared. The hunter began to think that perhaps the deer had been making its way to the magic lake. He had heard about the lake since he was a child. It was the place that only the animals could see, where they would go if they were hurt or wounded, jump in the magic waters and be healed. Maybe this was where the deer was headed, and that's why it disappeared. He sat down on the edge of the meadow and began to pray and fast, asking if this was the place of the magic lake that he would be allowed to see it. He prayed without stopping all through the rest of that day, all through that night, until at last he felt that morning sun hit his face, and only then did he open his eyes. He was no longer sitting on the edge of a meadow. Before him was a beautiful, crystal-clear lake that stretched as far as the eye could see. Overhead were thousands of birds, every kind of animal along the shore, squirrels, deer, raccoons, mountain lions, bears, all living peacefully together. Every once in a while, a wounded or sick animal would run out of the woods, jump in the water, roll around, and come out completely healed. The hunter was afraid to move or even blink for fear the vision would disappear. And sure enough, as the sun started to go down, it began to fade before his eyes. He got up and built a tower out of stones taller than his head so that he could find this place again if he wanted to. Then he went back to the village and told the Cherokee what had happened. Everyone wanted to go see the lake, but he said, No, no, it's not a place for humans, and he wouldn't take anyone there. Winter came early that year. It was the most difficult winter the Cherokee had ever seen. The snow was deep and the food was scarce. 
the chief of the Cherokee came to the hunter and said, You must go back to the lake and bring us food. There will be animals there. The hunter said, It wouldn't be right to kill something in that place. The chief said, Our people are starving. You must go. And the hunter knew he had no choice. He picked up his blanket, his bow, and three arrows, and made his way through the waist-deep snow until at last he came to where that stone tower was sticking out of the top of the snow. He sat down on his blanket. There before him was a huge meadow covered in snow. He began to pray. All through that day, all through that freezing cold night, until at last that morning sun hid his face, and only then did he open his eyes. Before him was a crystal clear lake that stretched as far as the eye could see. There was no snow here. There were beautiful green leaves on the trees, thousands of birds overhead, every kind of animal along the shore, three big bears standing not far from him. He took his sharpest arrow, put it in his bow, and shot at the biggest bear. He hit the bear right in the heart. The bear turned around and saw the man and let out a tremendous roar. He spoke to the man, and somehow the man could understand the animal. You have broken the promise of this vision, and now you must die. The bear fell back in the water, and that arrow that had pierced his heart began to be dissolved, and that hole that was in his heart began to be healed. And when he was completely whole again, that bear stood up and fell on that man and almost tore him to pieces. When the man finally came to, he could feel his body was tattered and torn. He could barely move. With what little strength he had left, he dropped his hand in the water. That water began to wash over his hand and heal it. Now, with the strength he had in his hand, he dragged his arm in the water, and that water washed over his arm and healed it. And then, with the strength he had in his arm, he raised up on his elbow, and he rolled his whole body in the water. He rolled over and over and over until he was completely healed. He stood up and walked to the shore, but he was so tired when he got there, he just fell face down in the mud. When at last he came to, he realized he was cold and stiff. He raised his head up and saw he was face down in the snow. He looked off to the side and for as far as he could see, there was a meadow completely covered in snow. He stood up and looked around him. There were no tracks of any animals, just his blanket, his bow, and two arrows. He picked them up and headed back towards the village. He told everyone what had happened. And from that day to this, no human has ever seen the magic lake again. But the Cherokee will tell you it's still there, somewhere, unseen to us, deep in the Blue Ridge Mountains, the magic lake of the animals.
The Magic Lake, a story told for you by the great storyteller and musician David Holt. What a pleasure to bring that tale to you today. And, of course, tales from Joseph Bruchak. You heard Aman Kamek, and you heard Kangding Love Story from Motoko from her collection, The Promise of Chrysanthemums. And at the top of the hour, a favorite from Donald Davis. Look it up, it's called. This hour was written by Trent Horton. Our audio engineer is Carly Robison. Our producer, Jeff Simpson. I'm Sam Payne. Find us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed. And I can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time. Hey, it's Sam. Just one more thing before we go. You know, we love bringing stories to the air just about every day. Tall tales and fairy tales and folk tales. I love that stuff. What do I listen to when I'm not listening to the stories that we bring you on the Appleseed? Well, I listen to a lot of the shows that are produced by BYU Radio. Top of Mind with Julie Rose. The Lisa Show with Lisa Valentine Clark and Richie T. Constant Wonder with Marcus Smith. They're all available as podcasts and at BYUradio.org. Give a listen. I'll see you next time. Thank you.